Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Teaching at Western Technical College, where we explore, share, and celebrate teaching and learning. We are your hosts, Maria Slusarek, Quality Assurance Mentor, and Larry Slesnico, Instructional Technologist. Welcome, everybody, to this episode on the Let's Talk Teaching at Western podcast. Today, we are so excited for our guest today. We have Rox Ann Smothers. She is an instructor in the hospitality management program within the business division. She is everything to that program. She is the chair, the department, the one person show all the way around. And we're so excited to Welcome, Rox. Welcome. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> and actually, as I'm thinking about this, we should have like some entrance music for our guests in next podcast. Like, oh, dun, dun, yeah. Dun. I don't know, something. Anyway. Oh, especially hospitality. My gosh. It's yeah, like God save the queen or something, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it's a little over the top. Nah, no, nothing's over the top, but we're so excited to have you here, Ross. Thanks for joining us. Well, sure I'm glad you're uh, Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, I was kind of interested to find out what was going on with this podcasting business. <laughs> so are we. So we're learning together. <laughs> totally. So let's just dive right in. We just kind of have a few questions. And the first one being, how did you become an instructor for Western's Hospitality Management Program? <laughs> okay, we'll just call it HM because that's way too big of a mouthful all the time. Yeah. How about that? HM program? Uh, sort of by proxy. I wasn't their first choice. <laughs> what? Well, the thing was, uh, you know, through a DACUM, they discovered that the community, this is what they were looking for, something in this area. And one of our other instructors, Ray Slatery, who has actually worked in the field for a long time, uh, was their first choice. He's, he's got his degree. We both have degrees from Stout, but in different areas. And his is actually in hospitality. And, uh, but, at, but like me now, Ray is the creator, sole, one-man team for the sales management program. So it was kind of hard to put the guy in two roles. And I don't remember who was at the table said, well, you guys do know that rocks work like forever in the industry. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, so they kind of came back around to me and I went, oh, yeah, well, it's been a long time since I've worked in the field, but that's how I got through college. And those are the different types of jobs and management jobs and leadership jobs that I've had was in the industry. So, so yeah, sort of by proxy is where I landed. And I'm really glad it did, though, because it reminded me how much I love the industry. <laughs> I've got brought back a lot of memories, good, bad, ugly, fun, all kinds of things happen in hospitality. Cool. Next question. What do you enjoy most about teaching and in particular teaching online courses? Well, I think the teaching part, the most I enjoy is just being able to be a small part of helping people, you know, reach their goals, especially people, people that never thought they could, that that's what really touches my heart when I get students who, no matter what their age, but often sort of that middle age group or even older students, non-traditional, um, someone told them uh, a long time ago that they either weren't smart enough, they weren't good enough, or you can't do this or this, those kinds of things. And I quickly make it clear to them that, yeah, you can, you're fine. You got an adult brain now, you're good. <laughs> and 
watching them go down that path is really exciting for me. You become a part of their life. There's students that still connect with me after 22 years. I've been here 22 years that still keep me in the loop about where they're at. Teaching online isn't something that I had planned on. I was always teaching either face-to-face or blended, IDL blended back in the day. And that was great because I traveled to all of the regional learning centers. At least I made it my point to travel. I would go to a different campus each week so that I would see my those students face-to-face at least once a week. And the rest were on TV. And isn't it ironic that uh, through the COVID, we all ended up back on TV? Yeah. Uh, Teaching online was a shock. Never thought I'd ever do it. Now that I am doing it, I think what I like the most about it is that I've heard so many horror stories from students about their online experiences. And I had at that point never been a student in an online class because, of course, you know, I'm old. (laughs) We did everything face to face. (laughs) Right. And uh, so I'm looking at going, wow, I've never had that experience. So I didn't have a place to come from. But the things that they were telling me about really motivated me to I've got to really up my game. This this doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for them. I felt totally disconnected from my students. I had just had to find a way to make it work because that's just the world we're living in. And so when I came on full time, I was a corporate trainer here at Western for quite a few years. And then as I came on full time and an adjunct in 2013, in 2014, I was given, I think, three or four fully online classes I was totally unprepared for and jumped in. So it kind of evolved from there. It evolved into a, it's a, a from a hate love relationship, perhaps. <laughs> That's awesome. And you say that you are unprepared. I mean, this was in 2013 and now we're, what, 2022 or so. And I don't know the state of Western or our professional development or anything back, (laughs) way back then. Like, how did you find opportunities or how did you grow or learn to be an online teacher? I, you know, we didn't have those departments. We didn't have AED or AEDD or whatever the letters are now. And <laughs> we didn't, we didn't have those support systems at that time. So I just started reaching out and asking anybody and everybody, but there, you know, there were people doing online classes, but they there weren't people doing online classes. Like on all programs, you know, were fully online. And I started out, of course, it was supervisory management at the time. Now it's leadership development, that program. We've always had a fully online compressed format. We used to run three different cohorts. So there'd be a face-to-face cohort, which I believe was like a Wednesday night. Then we had the IDL cohort and we had an online version of that. But, you know, the technologies were different then too. So I just started creating my own stuff in a sense. And of course, I went online as well and just started looking at different blog posts, different schools that were doing things. The first thing that I discovered, though, for me that I didn't know anybody else was doing, I did a, I went and got a webcam. I didn't even have a webcam. I didn't really have that kind of technology that I was interested in to use a webcam. Like I've never done gaming or any of that because I said, I can't do this. I can't not see my students. They can't see me. They can't hear me. So I went and got a webcam, and I the first thing I did was an introductory video. Just, just hey, here's me, here's you know, here's my messy home office, and you know, I'll try to make things look nice, you know, and I try to kind of be perfect at first, but I just wanted them to see me and hear me, and 
I got so much feedback. It was instant. It was like, oh my gosh, I've, you know, I, to this day, I still hear this to this day from students. I have never yet seen or heard my, you know, teacher, instructor, professor, whatever label you want to put on it. And I've been with them for two years. Yeah. And that pained me. That just was crushing. I'm like, oh man. So that just escalated from there in trying to find uh, creative ways to take my classroom into an online environment. So I thought, well, we do all of these great things. In IDL, you would meet once a week for three and a half hours. That's why we called it blended as well. So we had that sort of online component, which is basically the portion, or now we would use words like credit hour kind of thing that the students were working on and the rest was in the classroom with me. So I decided that I felt it was so unfair that we we weren't getting the interaction and the things we got to do in the classroom in the online environment. So I have always used an agenda. For every class, we have an agenda. It's a business program. You know, they're gonna go into business or they're already in business, they're gonna use an agenda. And I adapted that to be my lesson plan for the week and shared that with them so that, and then I would just played with and modified the different activities that we did in class. And then I actually called them class activities on my agenda. And I would just, you know, get creative and modify it. And I said, so basically, this is what you need to do throughout the week. This would be just like what we would do if we were three and a half hours together in a blended class. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to try to make this work. So it just started with that. And then it's trial by error. And I was adamant about asking my students for their feedback like almost weekly at first when I started, I said, really, I seriously, I need to learn how to do this better. I can't do it without you. And, you know, I said, if 80% of you say that some activity I tried, you know, I think I dreamt it and it sounded really cool in my head while I was <laughs> dreaming it up. But then I said, if it tanks, I said, if 80% of you tell me it sucked, it did, you know, it sucked. And, but please tell me why. Was it the whole activity? Was it this portion or what worked, what didn't? Because then I can switch it up. And then we would do it in real time. And of course, even back in those years, we would actually get on the phone and get input that way because I would get so sick of the, you know, just typing all the time. So, so a great deal of that evolved from student feedback. Like I tell my students now, I said, everything that you see what I'm doing now comes from years of student feedback. That's why sometimes I don't necessarily listen to management. No, management's not going to listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> part of management, right? <laughs> yeah. Depends on who you are. You'll know who you are. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Because uh, if it works for my students, uh, I'm probably going to go down that path. Yeah. Well, to continue along that idea of student feedback, and you really have a great student-centered approach to your online class. And could you describe how you build that relationship with your students? Like students aren't going to fill out a survey or give you feedback if they don't trust you're going to read it or mm -hmm. listen to them. Like how do you build that relationship with your students in an online class? Well, first and foremost, I do what I say I'm going to do. Uh, they see changes made in real time. I don't, I don't shelve it and then do it on my next time I teach the course. Uh, they see it happen in real time and I'll even send some change something and send it back out to them and just say, just, if y'all could just take a minute, if we, if I tweaked it this way, does this make more sense based on what they told me? And I'd get, they'll, they'll give you feedback if you ask for it. And so that works really well so that they understand that, you know, it's not lip service. 
Like, oh, yeah, she wanted to ask for our feedback, and then, you know, she's going to just do the same thing. Because we get that a lot, don't we? I mean, throughout our lives and our careers and stuff, people that don't come through. So I try not to make a promise that I can't keep. And that has been very helpful. And the fact, too, that I share with them a lot of personal things so they get to know me and, and they really get to trust me. And they tell me a lot of personal things and they never hear it coming from anybody else. It never goes anywhere. So you just have to really do what you say you're going to do and you have to be there for them consistently. And it's, it's time consuming, you know, teaching an online class, it takes a lot more time. I mean, anybody that's telling you it doesn't, hasn't done it long enough to find out that it takes more time to teach an online class than other formats, because you just really have to go the extra mile to connect with people, especially the ones that don't respond, because at least once a week in a blended or face-to-face, you've, you've, they've come to, if they come to class, you can, you know, nail them down. At least I am. I'll chase them down the hall. You know, I'm like, hey, you know, I haven't heard you haven't turned your homework in or what's happening, what's happening in your life. This isn't like you. But if they ghost you when you're in an online class, you know, I, I tease them. I say, listen, I got resources. I can find out where you live, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just to tease them a little bit. But sometimes you just have to live with the fact that they may not respond. That's when I get worried more than anything. So I think one of the best things we did here at Western is when we started implementing the first alert system. I was a very early adopter, early and often. And I and the side effect of that also was that my students, I was worried that the students like, oh, she ratting me out kind of thing. Because a lot of the students, of course, come from disadvantaged backgrounds and things like that. And I don't need to come across as another agency. Uh, we use agency thinking. The world that I grew up in, agency thinking is has a whole new different meaning than the way it's getting thrown around now. Having agency, meaning that you're, you know, going to be uh, more resilient or something. And the agency thinking I'm talking about is that I just got to check a box for another agency to get what I need for today and to pay my bills because that's what happens. You have to go to this office and fill out that piece of paperwork to get your check or whatever it is that you need or your assistance or whatever it is. So if you're going to come off as just another agency, not going to fly. They'll smell you out in a heartbeat. Well, Rox, you started on the idea of your personal experiences. How have your personal life experiences influenced how you teach and interact with your students? I think that's why I develop such strong, longing, lasting relationships with my students, because I do share my story. Um, I started to figure it out. I didn't at first. I sort of learned, you know, it's learn as you go. Because those of us, like, for example, from the business division, we didn't, it's pretty rare for someone to have a degree related to education. You know, we're business people, we're content experts, then we come into teaching. So right away, when I decided to go into teaching, I decided to teach myself how to teach, but it didn't teach me the part about sharing the bad parts of your life, the influence that that can have. We're all supposed to be, you know, everything's supposed to be perfect. So I share that with them right away now. They're in, even in my introductory videos and in other videos that we talk about, I use my life experiences as examples. So this is how it really works. Because I grew up really poor in poor neighborhoods um, back in the day when single parenthood wasn't cool, right? I don't know if it's cool now, but we're all used to it now. We all have blended families and nobody thinks as much about it. It wasn't that way when I grew up. And growing up poor uh, gives you a different perspective, especially if you're working with students that are disadvantaged economically, facing violence, drugs, alcohol, 
um, addictions and those kinds of things because they think they're alone. It's like, no, believe me, anybody, I don't care how far up the tower they, they live, they've, they've got something going on too. Being able to do that was really hard at first <laughs> to start peeling back some of the layers and sharing some of that about myself. Um, but I found that in the end, it was authentic to them. And of course, you know, geez, when you've grew up in a crazy life like I did, uh, you have lots of real world examples that are off the charts. This is not something from a textbook. A good deal of what we talk about and I use as examples and all the other stuff is that's from life and other people that I know their story and share their story that if they've given me permission to share their story. Homelessness, for example, is a big one. We, you know, today, statistically, we know that homelessness is just, it's off the charts, even in, especially in rural areas where we don't necessarily identify homelessness. We don't think it's a big deal because we don't see it. It's pretty easy to see people sleeping on the street, but it's a huge problem in rural areas. And growing up, having food insecurity and worrying about where you were going to live or something is something I knew about. I don't know how to explain it. If you've ever been there, it's you get that vibe, you get that like, okay, what's going on here with this person? And then you have to delicately kind of uh, untangle the weeds and figure out where they're at. The younger students today are much more likely to actually tell me, well, I'm living in my car right now. If I could just get this or that. And when they, when they, fi- when they finally tell me, I say, you know what, we've got stuff for that. Well, guess what? I've got students on the East Coast, West Coast, and, and in Mexico right now. I can't just walk them over to the counselor's office, but I can get them to services if they'll let me. And so I generally always use First Alert, but before we had that option, you know, I knew, got to know people within the organization and I knew a lot of counselors, you know, personally. And I had a couple, there's one in particular now, and he knows who he is. <laughs> That when I get a certain student and I, I know their story, it's like he's he's the person they need to talk to. He's that he's that person. Um, so if they trust me enough and if they're willing to look past, because I will sp- specifically say to them, we need to get past this whole agency thing. If you don't get a response in 24, 48 hours in a couple of days, please, you get back to me or I'm going to call and check on you. And because they're used to having nobody follow up. You know, they're kind of, they get used to that because we do have funds. They don't even know these things. That's what people forget when you come from poor neighborhoods and your first generation, those are my most, I shouldn't say I have favorites, uh, but it's a cherished when I find out they're a first generation college student because I'm first generation, I'm first generation, everything. And when they tell me that I already know there's a vocabulary they don't have, Right. There's things they're, they're not going to understand how a library works. They're not going to understand the technology, how that works. When we say, I hear people say that well, everybody's got a computer. No, they don't. They don't. And I have students, even to this day, in certain rural areas where they will sit in Walmart's parking lot and use their Wi-Fi in their car if we can get them a laptop. You know, Dr. Ruby Payne talks a lot about this idea of resiliency. Where does it come from? Is it in our DNA? Why does one out of five siblings you know, make it out. Why was I the one that made it out? You know, we don't know. But someone who will sit in the parking lot because they can't get Wi-Fi or all they have is dial up out in rural areas. You know, that also then makes me teach differently. It makes me offer a lot of variety. It makes me be flexible. I'm 
pretty flexible anyway, not physically, but mentally I'm pretty flexible. <laughs> definitely not definitely not physically. <laughs> but mentally I'm still pretty flexible in the sense that I'm not going to freak out if they tell me I didn't turn my cuz they they just won't turn something in cuz they've never had a teacher and I don't call myself their instructor and everything. I'm so I'm your teacher. And that wouldn't get down on them about something being late or not turned in. So they get paralyzed into inaction. When I finally convinced them, like, no, here, here, here's how it works. You know, you connect with me and we figure out how to make that happen. So maybe it's because their writing skills, they, they haven't had that class yet or whatever it is. It's like, well, we can do a video, you know, or we can do, you know, we can talk about it on the on the phone. If you can tell me how you understand the material, if you can clarify to me the things that I need to know that you understand it and can apply it, we're good. It's just that this in an online environment, this is one way that I threw it out there, but we have options. And they usually really come around to that in a big way. So I learned very early on then sharing those personal experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know, it just speaks to people that I'm just regular, you know, I'm just that's my favorite feedback when I get feedback. I get a lot of feedback from my students because I ask and I ask fairly regularly. But they, my favorite is when they say, well, Rox, is, she's just a regular person. That, that's a pretty high compliment. Rox, if I could do just a follow-up. You talk about all the connection you have with your students. Can you give us an example of you know, a particular student that you've had that interaction that makes you really feel good that you were able to make the connection that they were successful in your course? Yeah, gosh, this is a, just a few years back. I don't, it was pre-COVID, of course, so that takes us back like three years. So it was maybe, maybe five years ago. I still had, I still had a blended class here on the lacrosse campus. And gosh, I'm trying to even think of what the class was. It might have been the diversity class. I don't remember. And a comment was made in class. It was our, we, our one day a week when we were together. And I said, well, let's, let's stop what we're doing right here. We're going to, cause I'm not scripted in my classrooms at all. I'm usually off on some other, whatever. The agenda is a guide. Uh, but I've always told them these are living documents, even business. If something happens, we're going to stop here and we're going to examine it. And if we don't get something else done, I have all of the things listed on my agenda by priority. So my priority items that, you know, apply to my competencies, which they all should and they do. But if I get to those, if I got time, we can get to a couple of those extras, you know, uh, that's great. But if the last couple don't get there, so we stopped. And I said, here's one of those places where we need to stop. Because I said, we need to, and, and it had to do with homelessness. And I said, well, first and foremost, I said, you know, it's for some reason, a lot of people seem to think that poverty and being poor is a crime. It is not. I uh, said crime is a result of poverty and being poor because people have to take action to stay alive. And sometimes that isn't good. So I said, so you all already know that I grew up poor. I said, you all already know that some of the history in my family with incarcerations, addictions, all of that stuff. I said, I don't hold that against any of them. I knew their story. So we have to be careful because we don't know everybody's story. So before we pass judgment, you know, let's let's talk about our stories. And we just stopped and we just did a quick, there was probably 20 people in the class, went around and said, you know, what are your thoughts about this? And they had various things like, oh, I guess I never thought about it that way because, you know, I've never had to worry about a meal. 
I, I guess I never, you know, and you hear these things, right? They always hear these things. You know, we hear these things about people who are poor, you know, they're always stealing. And if you just got a job and, you know, they just need to get a job and talk about what if you don't have a car, you know, what if you don't have daycare? And it led to this discussion. We got to one woman and she took a deep breath and she said, well, um, my family right now lives at the homeless. I'm going to get really worked up over this one. She said, my husband and, and my two boys, we currently are living in a homeless shelter here in La Crosse. And the whole class was just dead quiet. And I said, wow. I said, that's, yeah, that's can you share, what, what's your story? And she said, well, we both had good jobs, both lost good jobs. She said, pretty soon it escalated and, you know, we couldn't make a house payment. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. And we exhausted all our resources. We don't come from rich families. You know, we are the both, her and her husband were both enrolled at Western and they were both first generation college students. And the students actually started asking her questions. And then that's when I can just be quiet, get them started. And they had probably the most fruitful discussion I think I've probably ever had in a classroom. And we didn't do anything else to the end of our time together that day. And when it was all said and done, and we, everybody had packed up to leave, the gal waited for me and she was in tears. And she said, you're the first person I've ever, ever heard that said that being poor wasn't a crime. That made me feel like being poor wasn't a crime because my husband and I didn't plan on being poor. And I said, well, it's temporary, right? You know that. And she said, yeah, yeah, but people look at you differently and they treat you differently. I said, well, you, today you shared with a lot of people who didn't. And she said, yeah, I've just never had that. And then uh, as we got ready to end the class, when we got the last class in that term, she brought her husband and two boys to meet me. So that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty impactful. That is an amazing story, Rox. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. Do you still keep in touch with her? Yeah, actually, uh not too long ago, about a year ago, right about the time, well, maybe I haven't probably heard from her through COVID. It was right about the time COVID, somewhere right around in there, she let me know that she was graduating. Yeah, and I was very excited for her. And I don't know, I, I didn't ask, she didn't say much about where her husband was at in the program. But yeah, she just wanted to let me know that you let me know that I could do this. You know, after we left there, she said, I, I knew we, we can do this. You know, and I also let her know, too, I said, you know, we have a lot of resources here at Western. And she said, I'm learning more about that because she said, I never thought that when you would go to college or go to school that they had stuff for you that could help you. You know, we just always worried about how to pay tuition and, you know, get through it. So then, of course, I was able to then hook them up with our counseling area and say, yeah, we do have funds like we're because they had problems with a car. I don't think, I don't even remember if they had a car at that point because the car broke down. You can't fix your car. I said, we have some funds for that. So yeah, yeah, she, uh, she graduated. So it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels between that service oriented perspective that you have in teaching, right? Like mm -hmm. we are servant leaders as much as we are instructors, right? Oh, and yeah. I, I think that has a lot of parallels with that hospitality management part, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when you're working in that field, there's a customer service kind of servitude, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, you, you live in, you should live and breathe it. 
I'm a firm believer in servant leadership. And that's when I started learning more about servant leadership, that has influenced me a great deal over the, on how many years now after I kind of discovered that um, and learning more and more about teaching and of course teaching in a leadership development program you come across so many more resources just based on what you're going to be doing for your courses but yeah servant leadership and quality customer service i mean every program should have a quality customer service class at least one because in hospitality we have two we have quality customer service that we also share with our admin program or uh, i think it's medical admin admin program we share that class it's actually comes out of is housed out of their program and when they created the hospitality management program it's like that's just a a number one course that we have to have but then we created a second course a quality uh, customer service management part two kind of thing where we go to the next level and I just think at least one quality customer service class should be taught in every program because I don't care if you never come in contact with a frontline or or one-on-one with a customer you have internal customers and all of this applies and it's the biggest epiphany above almost all things that my students in that class discover, I never thought about the person that I'm providing, that I am actually providing a service for a colleague, you know, whether it's upstream, downstream, or with your bosses. So how you communicate with everyone, if you treat them like a customer, you're probably going to be a little more successful. So I really think that would um, help a lot because there's also a section that I teach on within that. I go a little bit farther with internal customer service than the textbook does. I don't really like textbooks all that much. (laughs) So I do a lot of other stuff too. But I always have an exercise that we do that talks about, have you ever had a bad experience with a fellow, a coworker, uh, a boss or anybody at work? And they all have stories. And that's where a discussion board comes in great. When you have a really great topic, I'm not a big fan of discussion boards. I don't use them often. When I do, they need to be um, very purposeful. And it'll, I'll get 200 comments in a discussion board. We start talking about their horror stories with, oh, yeah. And then I say, well, I said, well, then y'all just passed internal customer service 101 because, yeah. And they said, I never thought about it that way. So, yeah, if I had my way, we would. We would. And, you know, I also feel that almost every program should have something that's related to servant leadership. It doesn't have to be a whole course. It doesn't have to be uh, just leadership development or any of that. But what is servant leadership and why are we doing what we do? You know, I, I left the private sector because I'd had way too many bad bosses. <laughs> and I've had a lot of jobs in my life, of course. You know, uh, poor people have a lot of jobs. We do whatever we got to do to pay the bills, right? And we usually do two or three of them at the same time, right? So you have an opportunity to meet a lot of bosses. And most of them are bad. On the other hand, I look at it from a teaching perspective now, I feel really sad because I think so many of them probably had great potential, but nobody taught them how to lead. You know, we, we promote people based on longevity and loyalty, and we can't give you any more money, so we're going to promote you. But have you prepared them to lead people? Probably not. So yeah, uh, servant leadership kind of drives everything that I do in the classroom. I have to lead by example. Of course, sometimes I tell them, don't do what I, don't do what I do. Okay. You guys just do it. <laughs> don't do what I do. Sometimes it's better off not to do what I do. When she's riding to school on the motorcycle or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't the kid that rolled up to college in a nice car. I never had a car until I was 26 years old because when I was eight, we moved from a rural area to a city which I'd never didn't understand or know what mass transit was, but uh, poor people take the bus, right? We, we used to laugh and say, yeah, well, you know, 
Y'all take the bus? Yep. All right. I know where you live. <laughs> you know, you learn to not tell people your address, right? In that. But I never had a car until I was 26 years old, partly because of that. I, you never, my mother never drove, never had a driver's license. So it just wasn't part of, you know, who you were. So much of this with life experience rocks. My goodness. We appreciate you taking the time to, you know, fill us in on that because it really tells you so much about your background and how you relate to students. I think our last question, and you've given so many examples of things that you do in courses, whether they're online or not, but do you have any additional suggestions, tips, tricks for instructors who want to do their very best, especially in online courses? you know, to connect with their students, to get their content across, to promote engagement, you know, again, to maximize their efficiency and effectiveness in being an instructor? Well, I think, I know I've said it before, I talked about the videos, that's number one. You have just got to do, you just have to do it. So mine escalated, I call it escalated because it is escalated. (laughs) Uh, From doing, you know, an introductory video to I got great advice and I got to do a shout out because here at Western, we didn't have the new faculty experience back then. We didn't have the, you know, adjunct faculty experience. Um, So when I started, I think I was part of the first group that went through the new faculty experience. And Stacy Mitchell was our mentor for our group. And I was talking about these video things I was doing. She said, oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad you're doing that. And here, as it turned out, Stacy was doing them for some of her classes. And I don't even remember if there were fully online classes, but she'd do this Saturday. I think Stacy can correct me. She can call and correct me if I get this wrong. She was, I think, doing like a Saturday morning kind of thing. And I said to her, I said, gosh, how do you, oh my gosh, how do you find the time? I said, I'm doing all this editing and I got to try to figure out, and I didn't even know how to edit. And I, Larry can attest to that. I'm terrible with technology and figuring that kind of stuff out anyway. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. She said, they will totally appreciate the fact that your cat always seems to get in front of the camera. My cat's always in the, you know, I said, gosh, what a ham, right? And the dogs start barking. Then I got to stop and redo stuff. She said, oh, don't, don't do it. Just be yourself. And I said, really? I can do that? She's like, yeah. So I quit all of that. (laughs) So now they get it. It's raw. They get the first cut. There's no cuts. So then I started doing a video going over our agenda together. So it would maybe be, uh, could be five minutes to maybe 12 at the most, depending on what the activities were. We would go through the whole agenda together. And then, of course, I tell them in business, you would have action items usually at the end of an agenda. I said, for us, that's homework. That's your action item. Then we go over all the homework together so I can give them verbal instructions while I'm doing that. I found out how important it was when a young man connected with me right away and said, I have never had an instructor do this. I've had all these online classes and I found out that he was dyslexic. And he said that you are going over these with me has saved my life because he said, I can stop the video and not, not just try to read the agenda himself. And I was like, oh, wow. And then I shared with him. I said, well, I'm high-functioning dyslexic. I said, and he said, oh, is that why everything's in, you know, I said, everything's color-coded because I said it helps me track better when things are color-coded kind of thing. So do the videos. I also do whenever we have chapters to read. If we are using a book or an article, most time, if it's reading from a book for sure, I'm going to go through the chapter with them in a video. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter point by point. You know, these videos need to stay, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes tops. 
If I have to do more than that, I'll do video one and video two for a chapter if it's a really important chapter. Going through the key points that I know as the content expert that they're going to struggle with, right? I, I know which parts they're going to need a little extra with. And I can throw in those personal experiences because I've had a lot of jobs. So when you're able to do these videos and go through the material you want them to first learn and then practice and then adopt, right? Seeing how you did it is very helpful or that it's not a straight path. Gosh, man, it's going to be right, left, right, left. It's not going to be a straight path. You can do that in a video. Uh, any projects, they have a separate video for the project. They get a project handout and I go through the whole project with them and it means the world to them because they get to see you. They see my messy office. I quit cleaning my office like I ever cleaned it, really. <laughs> it sounds better if I say I quit cleaning it. <laughs> so they see all kinds of junk everywhere, right? All my stuff laying around and the cat and the dogs and all of that. They will just love you for it. So that's my number one thing. And then in online classes, I think you need to offer more variety. Please stop with the mass, on mass discussion boards. Uh, you know, there are wikis, there are different tools that we can use that just change it up a little bit. And you can do a small group assignment. The assignment's not different. They just could do it with a small group that connects them as a family, a community. I, I use the word community a lot. We are a community in this course. We're a class together. And they hopefully, then they say they feel that way. And then um, like the last thing then for me would be please give timely feedback and grading right away. I have a pledge in my syllabus to my students that I will have everything graded within 24 to 48 hours for when its due date is. So in an online class, if they start on Monday and end on Sunday, Mondays are, I don't put anything on my calendar. It's 10 to 12 hours straight through. I get everything graded. They know that Tuesday's my, my fill-in day if something happens and I can't get to it. And lots of feedback. And I hear that in my feedback. I hear that from them. I think I have an instructor I haven't heard from in two weeks. It just crushes me. Or I haven't gotten feedback on three assignments I did three weeks ago. And so I don't even know how I'm doing. They need that constant feedback. And so I say it is a little harder and takes a little longer to do an online class. But it's my job. I look at it that way too. You know, this is what I love to do. I'm not going to say, oops, whoop, clock just ticked here, went off. I'm done for the day, that kind of thing. So... And they don't, they're just appreciative. It's like, wow, they, you really, it makes them feel like you care about them. And that in itself helps build relationships and builds a community of learners together. So for me, it's just those few things. And I always tell new instructors too, or adjuncts that are, that I work with, I work with my adjuncts and just say, try one new thing each time. Just try one new thing. You know, once you get that down, like start with the videos. I always say, start with the videos. <laughs> You know, you can get a webcam pretty cheap now. I know a guy named Larry will probably give you one. If, you, if We can get you one, right? So uh, that's about it, really. That's it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot of different things, but those few will really make the difference. I think during professional development, we talked about high-impact practices. This should be like a sub-part of those. I mean, just mm -hmm. the videos, the feedback, the communication and relationship mm -hmm. building. I mean... That sounds amazing. Thanks so much for sharing all that with us, Rox. Well, you're welcome. My goodness, Rox, you are um, an inspiration and full of so much encouragement for connecting with students, having them really engage with the content, engage with one another, and become ready for their careers once, once they graduate. And I think, like you said, you don't emphasize a textbook. You use an agenda. You use different techniques to connect with the students through video 
through discussions when necessary and giving them alternative ways to show that they know the content and giving them that flexibility. So, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this with us. And uh, we really appreciate it and continue on with what you're doing. You're just such a great addition to have at Western. Well, thanks, you guys. It's been a blast. And of course, I don't get to see everybody very often. So it's really nice to come to campus and kind of hang out too. <laughs> hang out with you guys too. Anytime. <laughs> thanks again. Thanks right. so much, Rex. Have a good day, you guys. You too. You too.